Hey everyone, it's Luke. Got a quickie for you this week. Still trying to catch up from previous weeks and also, you know, not wanting to always be just so brutally, brutally depressing on every single episode of Range. This week I thought I'd interview Neil Schindler, who's the director of the Spokane Area Jewish Family Services, about, about their 17th annual film festival. The Spokane Jewish Cultural Film Festival was one of the first things I ever covered as a cub reporter, a cub arts and culture reporter at the Inlander. And I, it might've been the first year or like, if not the first year, the second year, cause I'm uh, like, I repeatedly remind myself I'm very old, but it's always had a special place in my heart. Y'all know that cinema has a special place in my heart as one of the more, probably the most accessible art form and the most sort of culturally Americanly pervasive outside of probably pop music, but films right up there. So it's a language we all understand. And insofar as it's like very narratively driven, generally speaking, allows for great storytelling to lead to really important conversations. And I think this is what the, the Jewish Cultural Film Festival has always done. So yeah, this week is just going to be two dudes talking about film, a couple different films. None of these films I've seen but I've watched the trailers. So uh, Neil's the only guy that has any actual insight into the quality of these films. So I'm going to lean pretty heavily on him. We're also going to hear him talk about sort of film as an act of mutual humanization. You watch films maybe about people you don't understand or you've never met, and it helps you sort of understand the, the nuance and the complexity and the humanity of people who sometimes get painted with a broad cultural brush or a somewhat flat stereotypical interpretation. And we know specifically with, well, both the portrayal of Jewish people in Western European and American contexts, and certainly Palestinian people in world contexts, humanity gets flattened out and caricatured in a way that leads to, you know, random acts of violence and vandalism, like we just saw happen at Temple Beth Shalom a couple of weeks ago in Spokane, and certainly the mass shooting at the synagogue in Pittsburgh a few years ago, on the one hand, and also, of course, the plight of the Palestinian people in the West Bank and the Gaza Strip under Israeli occupation. So yeah, just a pretty powerful, nuanced, compassionate, humane conversation I'm really excited to share with everyone. We'll get to that momentarily, briefly before we do. If you like range, you can keep it. If you like our, if you like the podcast, you like the newsletter, that joke's maybe going to get old. It has not gotten old yet. Uh, maybe when um, Obama's been out of office for, say, 30 years, I'll get tired of that joke. But it hasn't happened yet, folks, so you're stuck with it. If you like what we're doing on the podcast or in the newsletter or both, uh, and you want to support it, you can at rangemedia.co slash subscribe, I believe. It's 10 bucks a month or a hundred bucks a year to support the sort of journalism that helps inform the population about what's going on in Spokane, but also give people concrete action items on how to make an impact on the city themselves in the larger region. We keep it free for everybody always. So you don't have to pay if you can't afford it, but if you appreciate the content and you can, we really, really appreciate your support. So rangemedia.co slash subscribe, or just go to rangemedia.co and click the subscribe button. That'll get you where we want to go. So now without further ado, or with a minimal amount of further ado, just a teeny bit of ado, Range's second movie episode. Remember that? Some roguishly handsome gadabout with a rapier wit entitled that one, Hillbilly Smellogy. This time we're going to go way out on a limb and talk about movies you actually might want to see. 
And the amazing thing is if you do want to see them, they are all collected in one place for one week only, very close to home. The 2021 Spokane Jewish Cultural Film Festival, its lineup, the stories that are told, and why they're relevant today. It was a really, really wonderful conversation. And insofar as the film festival has gone virtual due to coronavirus restrictions, you can sit back, sign up, buy some tickets, buy a whole festival pass, and then watch these films in your living room, in your underwear. Let's be honest, you're already in your underwear, so might as well watch some awesome movies and support a really, really important local nonprofit. All right, that's about all the plug-in I got stomach for. Neil Schindler, director of Spokane Area Jewish Family Services and the Jewish Cultural Film Festival, coming up. I'm Luke Baumgarten, and this is Range. Episode 29. Eight crazy nights of cinema. Neil Schindler, thanks for coming on Range. Absolutely. Glad to be here, Luke. So just a little bit of brief background. Uh, you're from Detroit, but you've lived in the Northwest for almost 20 years. You were a, in journalism and media over in Seattle, but then you came to Spokane to get a master's in counseling at, at Eastern. What led to that career switch and, uh, and why have you stuck around Spokane? Ah, good questions both. So in Seattle, I made my way from Seattle Weekly, where I was a staff writer for several years, to the Seattle Times. Um, I worked on the website, though. I worked on a a now defunct website called NorthwestSource.com. I think I remember that site. Yeah, I have uh, very, very wonderful memories of that time. But, uh, you know, uh, like so many other sites, it it no longer exists. Um, And then eventually (laughs) I ended up, so I went from print journalism to online journalism to eventually um, content curation. That was my last stop in Seattle at a company called Every.com that was a startup. It was a Paul Allen-funded startup. And uh, my job was as junior content curator, which was pretty much what you would expect. Hmm. The idea was to create something that was like Pandora, but for news, basically, Um, which now a lot of things do. But um, so I worked there for a bit. And, you know, that was the job, even though I liked aspects of it, where I was like, I'm not really interacting with people anymore, am I? And I'm not really creating content anymore, am I? Yeah. And I, I had done, of course, journalism, uh, but I, I felt like I really just wanted work that was very people-focused. And I'd always been interested in psychology and had considered majoring in it in college and undergrad. And so I decided to go the route of counseling. And I came out to uh, Spokane to attend Eastern, get a master's in counseling. And ironically, I now am more in a social work vein. And as you also know, I'm doing cultural programs as well. But then I stayed in Spokane after graduating because I met my wife here and she's from here. Oh, nice. And so for the foreseeable future, we're here. That's that's it. That's the whole story. So we've got some like... Like you said, cultural program. We've got some heartwarming artistic things to talk about, but I did want to start with just the uh, the sickening vandalism at Temple Beth Shalom on February 8th. So just wanted to express my sorrow and solidarity to, to you and the whole community. But 
how's the the multiple communities, you know, well, the, the several Jewish communities in Spokane, but there are a couple different congregations that meet inside of Beth Shalom, right? It's got to be chilling for you guys. How are you doing? You know, the the best opportunity I've had since that incident to kind of have a finger on the pulse of how the community is doing was attending a community conversation via Zoom. Um, I believe it was later that same week regarding the incident and the community's feelings about it. And, you know, the I think the overwhelming sentiment was this is chilling, but not entirely surprising, given the political climate and the rise of sort of extremism in various forms in the last few years. Um, but we have to go on. Right. And, you know, there was even some discussion within the community as to should we have the temple closed for the week to kind of, mm. you know, regroup, talk about security and, uh, and and kind of take the heat down a little. Or should we just get back, right back in there? And, you know, the decision was made, I think, um, erring on the side of caution, um, which is the job of the, <laughs> the folks in the community who think about security to keep it closed for that week. And so in any case, there was there was a lot of sentiment of like, this is hard, it's hard to experience, but at the same time, we have received as individuals and as a community overwhelming support from many corners of the broader Spokane community. And that, that was also the case, you know, several years ago after the um, terrible incident in Pittsburgh, oh, right. mass shooting. And also in 2014, um, when another person drew a swastika on the temple uh, on Yom Kippur, there was both a community conversation within the Jewish community and then an outpouring of support. So, you know, it made me think of that time. This is a different climate than in 2014, politically speaking, but similar degree of support and um, solidarity with the Jewish community is what we've received. Yeah, I was trying to remember the last time because it does seem like it's it's way too common and it does seem like Beth Shalom ends up getting targeted pretty frequently for this sort of stuff, along with like the community building and other places where we've seen swastika vandalism in the last couple of years. But you're right, this is a, an absolutely different uh, environment than 2014. And it, it's, it's wild to think of how much our, our culture has shifted in the negative, but also toward the positive in, in some ways, right? Like it's at least bringing attention to it and people seem to be more vigilant. I did a story years ago about the big kosher dinner that Beth Shalom used to host and it apparently ended a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. and it was delicious and I'm sad it's gone, but the organizers there talked about it on sort of two fronts as like both a positive way to gather and share culture with a larger community, sort of, you know, share your cultural heritage with everybody in Spokane but then also as a program sort of designed to demystify and hopefully undercut the gross and dehumanizing portrayals of, of Jewish people in, in the common sort of anti-Semitic conception. So does, do you feel like the, the film festival you all are working on is a serves a similar purpose or different or? Yeah. I mean, I, I do think that the argument can be made that increasing understanding of Jewishness, what it means to be Jewish, what it's meant to be Jewish in the larger community, in the non-Jewish, you know, larger community can increase a sense of empathy and connection to and solidarity for the Jewish community. And also, you know, in that, in so doing counter hate. Um, I think that, you know, it's true that there are stereotypes and caricatures out there at sort of the fringes, but there's also just a lot of lack of understanding 
And there's, um, and in some cases, maybe not as much now as 10 years ago, but a lack of understanding that there's even a Jewish community here on the part of people who aren't Jewish, that there's even a temple. But also just to dispel the idea that Jewishness is one thing, that it's a monolithic identity. And, you know, the the film festival, (laughs) I I often quote the late Roger Ebert or paraphrase him awkwardly. Um, He said something like, movies are a machine that generates empathy. And, you know, film Uh, is a very accessible medium. It's, I think, a way for people who might otherwise have attended the kosher dinner but can no longer do so to have interaction with Jewish culture, Jewish thought and uh, tradition and members of the community themselves through the festival. And yeah, I think that Jewish culture is a whole stream of what it means to be Jewish that a lot of folks may not understand because they think of Judaism, the religion, and I don't think of the ways in which people can be identified culturally Jewish, you know, which is more how I identify. And so I think that's useful too. One of the films is about a, a, a black activist who's a rabbinical student. So I, I think the, in the common conception of Judaism, I don't even think African-American people show up that often, right? So it, it sort of demonstrates the, the various ways one can be Jewish. And that includes people, you know, there's a, there are Jewish communities in Africa traditionally mm-hmm. and, and certainly within uh, the African-American community as well. Yes, that's right. And I think that not just in Spokane, where we're a relatively white population, right? Uh, statistically speaking. That's putting it kindly, yeah. Yes, that's putting it mildly. But um, <laughs> but really all over the country and the world, black Jewish identity, that sort of intersection is not widely understood. And I think mm. this, you know, this is the first film I know of that we have shown in our 17 years that directly addresses that particular identity. I think that it's the beginning of you know, more of that that we need to do. And I also hope at some point in the coming year to screen a documentary called Shared Legacies, which is about sort of Jewish, Black relations in the context of the civil rights movement, but also taking it up to today and, and looking at some of the fault lines or tensions that exist in some ways that, you know, I think some folks in both the black and Jewish communities are trying to work towards reconciliation, but but the film that we're showing indicates that black and Jewish communities, those aren't necessarily separate, right? There's right. You, a person can can be part of both and what that means is explored certainly in the film. So I think it's well worth seeing for sure. So you said it's been, the film festival has been going on for 17 years, which is more or less tracks with my memory. I started at the Inlander in, I think, 2004, 2005. I think I'm, I'm pretty sure I covered the festival the first year I was a staff writer there. So that's must have been like the sec- maybe the second year of the fest. I remember talking, I think it was Jason Smart. I think uh-huh. you're right about that. I was trying to remember the name of the director and Neil helped me out, who sort of talked about what we, what we have already talked about, about how it sort of is meant to bring people into a deeper understanding of and love for Jewish culture and also as a way of countering hate and i wonder 17 years on do you do you feel like it's helping do you think it's working or is it sort of is it oh is it is it going to be a job that's never complete i mean uh yes and yes so i i think that (laughs) you know the festival itself there's work that it does through simply exposing people to jewish life and and culture through the films and then of course there are the pieces that are sort of live discussions with either individuals who are expert uh, on the, the subjects that are being discussed in the films or the filmmakers themselves. And we've got plenty of that as part of this festival. But beyond that, the festival has opened doors in terms of my interacting with the larger community. And I'll give you one example. 
last year, I went over to, I think it's Coeur d'Alene. Uh, it might have been Post Falls. I apologize to the high school, but it's the high school that's <laughs> that way. It's it's over in North Idaho, not too far from the border. And um, And I spoke with a high school class about what it means to be Jewish, Jewishness, Judaism, all this stuff. And they were operating, from the teacher's perspective, they didn't have much knowledge at all one way or the other. They just didn't know much, and so, which is understandable. Um, but I don't think I would have had that opportunity to go do that if not for the publicity that the film festival generates every year um, as a way of just sort of bringing interest regarding the Jewish community and what being Jewish means. And and I'm planning to go back again, actually, right after the film festival to talk to the class again. Different class, of course, but uh, to that class, yeah. And especially if you cultivate understanding when folks are relatively young, then they have something to kind of go on for future. If people graduate high school and they really aren't aware of anything related to Judaism or Jewishness, then, you know, who knows when they will, if ever, become really uh, connected to that, that information, that knowledge. So obviously operating under our COVID reality, y'all have made the decision to host the festival virtually. And obviously that has its drawbacks. I mean, there's nothing more enjoyable to me than going to a film festival and just talking about movies afterwards with strangers. Like, Mm -hmm. so there's no way to replace that. And, you know, for the foreseeable future, we just, we're living under uh, extremely like attenuated community. Like life just isn't as rich as it used to be, but Mm. it also allows you all to show a lot more films than you have been able to historically. So how was selecting that? So I think you're showing like nine this year, as opposed to like mm-hmm. three or four usually. So it sort of broadened your horizons. How was selecting this year's films different than other years? Traditionally, before COVID, our festival was quite modest. It was quite small. You know, three feature films over one weekend uh, is a yeah. very small festival. And I think one of the smallest festivals I've ever heard of, right? And it was, it <laughs> yeah. was modest in part because we're a very small organization. We're community supported and we do with what we can, you know, and the last couple of years, we've been so fortunate as to have grant support for the festival, which last year we had the same number of films, but we had a lot of extra programming sort of surrounding them that we would not have been able to have without that grant support. This year, we also have uh, some grant funding, and that has allowed us to really expand the lineup. Instead of three films, feature films, we have seven feature films and two shorts. Um, Shorts is definitely an area I want to get in to more in the coming years with the festival for various reasons, but I really just love short film. You know, there's less anxiety when you have seven features and two shorts about trying to make a balanced slate with just three features. However you think of, you know, whatever balance may mean, whether it's the theme, the subject, even mood, whatever, uh, you know, there's less uh, anxiety about every individual film because there's just a broader swath. You know, for example, there are a couple different films in this festival that look at the Holocaust, but they have very different viewpoints and angles on it. And the same goes for Israel-Palestine. You know, we don't have the Israel-Palestine film or the Holocaust film. We have a couple different ones on each front. And and that's very helpful because, again, it kind of dispels the sense, oh, there's just one way to look at these issues. And, you know, we also were able to program something, and I say this with great affection, kind of random, like a 24-minute documentary about a Jewish astronaut bringing a Torah into space. You know, on a normal year, (laughs) might we have done that? Maybe. But this year, with more, you know, open slots, if you will, it was a no-brainer to put something like that in there. Yeah, I mean, it's you think about all the things that represent culture, right? How could you possibly represent 
the, the diversity in three films or even seven really, but it at mm-hmm. least does give you some opportunity to show the fun, weird, idiosyncratic stuff. I mean, yeah, an astronaut bringing a tour into space is that's, that sounds fascinating, right? Mm-hmm. So there are some pretty specific rules and guidelines about what you're even allowed to take into space, right? Mm-hmm. So it, I'm guessing it goes into that. That's pretty cool. Oh yeah. There's rabbinic consultation behind that uh, for sure. <laughs> In addition to like clearances from NASA or whatever. Mm-hmm. Sure. All right. So you sent over three films that you thought were kind of representative or that you thought would be a good cross section of the, of what we're, what you're working with this year. And the first one that I wanted to chat about was called the crossing, which seems like kind of like a family film about four friends during the Nazi occupation of Norway. Two of them are Norwegian kids and the other two are, I mean, I'm, I don't know. I haven't seen the movie, so I'm guessing they're Norwegian of Jewish descent, the other two. And so the two Norwegian, the blonde hair, blue, very like very demonstrably blonde hair, blue eyed kids, right. right? <laughs> uh, helping their, their Jewish friends escape across the border into Sweden. So why did you guys select that film? So that was a film that, among other things, accomplished something that we've really been trying to do, which is it's a film that is a family film, right? A lot of the films we've shown in the past few years, and really through the history of the festival, that were simply aimed at adults in various ways. And this is a film where the main characters are all in the sort of early tween kind of, I don't remember if they're 10 or 11, but they're in that... And I would say that kids that age and up, it's appropriate for, and that it might really resonate for children of that age or a bit older, um, as well as, of course, for adults and teenagers and so forth. But also, it's just a beautifully made film that looks at both the the horrors of the Holocaust, but also how resilience and courage resides in even young children or can reside in young children. And it's just very different looking at the whole thing from that perspective. But it also tells the story, a story of Norway during during World War II and the Holocaust that I, I think that a lot of folks wouldn't think of Scandinavia yeah. at all. And the fact that Norway was occupied, but Sweden was neutral. And so the goal was to get you know, folks over to Sweden to be safe and so forth. It's just not a story that I hear very much or see very much. Um, and it's beautifully done. I mean, it's just, you know, I, I've watched a lot of films with child actors, and these are really very talented, uh, adept child actors, well-directed. And it's just, it's a lovely film to look at, even as there are definitely moments that are that are hard emotionally. But um, yeah, no, it's just, it's unique in terms of what we've shown before. And I really appreciate that. I watched one of the Miyazaki movies, uh, Opanyo, the other day, and I just love his work so much. Yeah, Opanyo's a favorite in our household. I just was reminded of a quote. You know, he's he's known for creating these like really magic realist and just absolutely, you know, completely fantastic scenarios for mostly, you know, young protagonists mm. in his films. And he said that like the the most magic thing about his work is just giving kids a sense of autonomy mm. and like purpose. Cause kids don't usually have that, right. Their lives are controlled. And so the mm. thing that like, you know, for all the, for all the spirit world stuff and all the, the magic and fantasy, like the most fantastic thing I do is give mm. kids a sense of empowerment. And it strikes me that this film is kind of like that it, as well. It, it absolutely is. And I think that, you know, another thing that's worth saying is that to make a film or to write a book, but to make a film that is about the Holocaust is from kids' point of view and is okay for kids to watch, but also doesn't feel like it's glossing over the things that are difficult. That is an incredibly delicate balance, and it takes a lot to do that tonally 
and in the writing and so forth and so on. My mother is actually, so my grandmother was a Holocaust survivor. My mother is a Holocaust scholar. Oh, wow. And yeah. she, my mother has written about and spoke, spoken about um, children's books about the Holocaust, which, you know, you might think, well, that's, you know, not something that would be possible to do. But of course it is. It just takes a great deal of skill and understanding of, of child development. And, and this film really shows, you know, the filmmaker knew what she was doing in gearing the film toward the younger demographic as well. But it's still, it doesn't feel like it's, that it's trivializing the heavy subject matter. And, it, you know, and it also has hope, which is, you know, goes along with the, with the theme of the festival. It, it isn't a total downer. It's inspiring. In <laughs> ways, and that's important. So the second film was called Those Who Remained, which is about survive, Holocaust survivors in Hungary. Mm -hmm. A 40-year-old man named Aldo lives a solitary life as a doctor and then eventually sort of takes on a 16-year-old girl named Clara as his ward of sorts mm -hmm. uh, from her great aunt. And this is kind of in, along the backdrop of the, the Iron Curtain descending over Hungary. Mm -hmm. So there's, you know, Soviet repression is starting to kick in and so it's a it's kind of a story it seems like from the i've only seen the trailer like about re rebuilding familial ties and community after your biological family is gone or at least missing and kind of learning to love again so what made you guys select that film yeah i mean this was one of my personal favorites and i think part of the reason is because in addition to looking at themes of trauma and loss and how people cope with these. Um, it's also about relationships that are hard to categorize, right? The relationship between the two of them is ultimately essentially kind of a father-daughter relationship, but it's very clear that both of them are yearning for something that they can't ultimately find in each other because it's not socially appropriate, which is romantic yeah. partnership, right? And so yeah. um, they recognize those limits, and um, and and that is kind of something that that restricts where this relationship can go. But it's a deep friendship, and there is love. Um, that is sort of ultimately familial type love. And they do help each other rebuild their lives that have been shattered. And I thought about this. This is not a direct comparison. Um, it's just a comment on the moment we're in. You know, the Holocaust, there's nothing that is exactly parallel to it. It's unique in history. But I will say the world is currently going through trying to cope with a lot of trauma, a lot of loss. And in some cases, trying to rebuild after loved ones perish and, and, and trying to do so through relationship at a time when that's particularly challenging. So, I mean, in that sense, some of the themes will resonate. It's a very different era and a very different story than what we're going through now. And it's much more tragic. But, um, but there's tragedy that we're living through now, too. I, I don't know. I, right. I hadn't thought about it when we first chose the film. But um, it's also just a delicate and beautiful relationship study and double character study really um uh, and it was it was shortlisted for the for the 2020 oscars in the international feature category so it has received oh, wow. acclaim for sure yeah the third film is called incitement which appears to be the attempted or successful assassination of yitzhak rabin uh, and a guy who appears to get radicalized against sort of the Palestinian liberation movement and the peace process while he's serving in the IDF, which is the Israeli Defense Forces. So is he, that about right? Um, so Yigal Amir is the real 
the real person that is portrayed in the film. This is a fictionalized, you know, uh, depiction of real events and real people. He did serve in the IDF, but at the time of the film, he is um, he is not uh, in the in the armed forces anymore. But it's clear from um, comments that that other characters make that that his radicalization. Um, you know, it may have begun there, um, but it certainly uh, continues after his service. And, you know, I think what we see in this film, even though the events took place in 1995, so more than 25 years ago, it's extremely, unfortunately, extremely relevant to today, because here we have an individual who uh, develops, I would say, fringe politics, right? A very yeah. anti the peace movement, and and specifically because he believes it's naive and that it will simply result in more Israeli Jewish casualties. That um, that you know the other side isn't to be trusted at all, and that it's you know a, a terrible move. And basically, that the prime minister Yitzhak Rabin is a traitor, right? Is a traitor to the Jewish people. And so this fringe politics mixes with some radical interpretation of scripture, um, and results in some extremist, violent behavior. And unfortunately, thinking simply, if nothing else, about January sixth, that's all too familiar. Um, yeah. to us. And, and, and the last piece that I think is in the film and in those incidents that also is relevant is some harsh rhetoric from, at the time, uh, someone who's in the opposition, whom, whose name may, may seem faintly familiar to you, Benjamin Netanyahu, <laughs> right? So yeah, Netanyahu right. was railing against Rabin. And he is, of course, now the longest serving Israeli prime minister and has faced both from Israeli citizens and, you know, people all around the world, a lot of criticism for aspects of his approach to to being the prime minister and also just corruption charges. I mean, there's a, you see a, a younger Benjamin Netanyahu in this movie and you know because of what's happened since how things move, but that rhetoric is, if not inflammatory, close to it. And, you know, you have in the film the peace movement, which is presumably fueled by a great deal of hope and embodied in many ways by Rabin, running up against not only the brokenness of Igal Amir um, in terms of his radicalization, but also the brokenness of a societal push for hard-nosed, you know, hawkish, potentially inciting rhetoric that comes from high up. I mean, that all, it's all too familiar to us today. And that, that hawkishness, at least historically, I mean, he's like, you're saying he's Netanyahu's just embroiled in seems like ever worsening, uh, scandals, but that hawkishness and that, that ability to sort of generate fear has more or less made him politically bulletproof for a decade or like decades at this point. Right. And, and the moment we see in incitement, and I'll, I'll say I'm no expert on Israeli political history, but I think it's, <laughs> it's clear to even a relatively casual observer, this is a big turning point. And, you know, Rabin's assassination was a big blow to a sense of hope and specifically hope for peace. And what replaced all of those feelings and thoughts and ideas was, you know, Netanyahuism to <laughs> awkwardly uh, use that term, but I mean, so obviously recognizing that Jewish and Israeli are not synonyms of each other. One of the more contentious things in the, in this sort of American progressive movement is, is the Israeli state and the plight of the Palestinian people. So are there other things in the past? You've underscored that a lot. It sounds like incitement does that. 
um, as well, sort of shows in sort of a prismatic view of one aspect of that conflict. Is there other stuff that uh, this year that that deals with Israel-Palestine? Definitely. So <clears throat> the film Crescendo, which is the opening night film, which becomes available tomorrow, is pretty head on in that regard. It looks at the conflict through a story about a youth orchestra um, that involves both Israeli Jewish members and Palestinian Arab members. It is based loosely on an actual uh, orchestra that uh, a conductor named Daniel Berenboim put together many years ago and that still exists. But um, this is, I think, it will be for many viewers a fresh approach to the conflict, um, looking <clears throat> at it through the youth uh, in the story, but also through an arts and music focus. Um, and, you know, what I think is a strength of the film is it is definitely realistic about not being able to simply bring together disparate people groups through the power of art and magically make peace, right? Even yeah. among that small sample group, uh, to say nothing of the larger conflict that that surrounds them. But, but on the other hand, you know, bringing together these disparate, you know, youth, there are insights that are gained. And if I were to live through this experience myself, I imagine it would be pretty life-changing and potentially attitude-changing for at least some of the, the teenagers. Um, so I, I do think it, it it comes up against some of the hard realities of the conflict, not least of which is, um, do both sides truly want peace in the sense that they are willing to do what might need to be done to achieve it? Sort of looking right. at, are the facts on the ground going to permit the kind of peace that was talked about and even dreamed about decades ago? So, you know, the, there's a lot of entrenched feeling, a lot of prejudice that both groups bring to this gathering and it it's not pretty <laughs> necessarily but it is instructive and and kind of compelling so that's one of the films the other is breaking bread and it's interesting because in a way breaking bread is very very different crescendo really confronts the the aspects of the conflict that are difficult and thorny and breaking bread is more of an attempt on the part of, I think, the the people who put together the food festival that it's about, and also on the part of the filmmaker, to kind of de, de-escalate or depoliticize the conflict and focus on art, in, the, in this case culinary arts, as a way to bring people groups together, or individuals even, together. Um, and the idea here is, if the governments weren't the ones calling the shots and you kind of left it up more to the people, they would have a better chance at creating peace. And I think that's, you know, <laughs> it's it's an interesting idea. I think the governments are ultimately elected by the people, so that there's kind of a question as to whether that's true. <laughs> but I do think that the film makes a strong case that one-to-one -one or small group relationships are a better way to increase understanding than anything else. And the the food festival brings together Israeli Jewish chefs and uh, Arab chefs, some of whom uh, certainly live in Israel as citizens, and I think some of whom are, are Palestinian. But the point is, they work together in the context of Haifa, which is a city, it's the third largest city right. in Israel, where, as the film depicts, there is better and more integration of the two groups than anywhere else in Israel. And so it kind of puts Haifa forward as like a model. This is how things maybe could be on a wider scale. You know, I, I think that it is, it is inspiring to look at partnerships across the lines of this conflict, but it's also important to remember that there is a larger conflict that makes it 
um, hard to uh, scale up this kind of harmonious right. cooperation. That doesn't mean the harmonious cooperation shouldn't happen. It certainly should. And it is important to to the sense of hope that I think we all want to have. But yeah, it's, it's, it's a very different look. And so I, I really appreciate that we're able to present such different approaches to the same general subject. Um, it really makes it a meaningful festival, I think. So if people want to attend, uh, how can they, how can they be a part of it? If you go to the main website for Spokane Area Jewish Family Services, which is simply sajfs.org, that will give you access to the festival homepage. It's kind of embedded there and you can buy tickets. You can, you know, consider buying passes. You can look at the films. You can do all the things. There's even some pages that, are instructive in terms of the tech aspect. How can I watch these films on my TV? What are the different ways that can happen and so forth? Awesome. Um, so yeah, that's that's where to go, I think. Um, and we, I definitely want the festival to reach well beyond the Jewish community and get as much participation from outside it as possible. This is an event for, you know, the Inland Northwest, not just uh, the Jewish community of Spokane. Most of the films are available for a 72-hour window, which is three days. So Crescendo becomes available at 7 p.m. tomorrow. If a person wants to be participating in the live discussion after the film, it behooves them to watch it at 7 p.m. tomorrow because the live discussion's at 9 via Zoom. But, you know, if they can't make it, if they can't do that, then they can watch Crescendo anytime between 7 tomorrow and 7 on the 6th of March. And all the other films are similarly sort of, they have a window in which you can watch them on demand at your convenience. And the the openings, quote unquote, when they become available are staggered throughout the festival. So day one, Crescendo becomes available. Day two, Incitement becomes available and so on. Awesome. Neil Schindler, thank you so much for coming on range on such short notice. And thanks for keeping the festival going, uh, even in these uncertain times. It's, it's super important. I've always loved it and I'm glad you're still doing it. Well, thank you, Luke. It's my pleasure to be here. And, um, yeah, it's a labor of love and the proverbial blood, sweat and tears. And, you know, I, I hope that it goes off well and that people enjoy it. Thanks again to Neil for coming on and talking about the film festival. Really thoughtful guy. Really appreciated that conversation. All right, y'all, I'm going to keep the outro really short because you've got seven films to watch, seven feature films and a couple shorts, actually. So more than that, you got your work cut out for you this week. Get to it. Once again, if you want to help support Range, rangemedia.co, either click on the subscribe button or go to rangemedia.co slash subscribe. And then please, I'm begging you, take part in the film festival at sajfs.org. That's the homepage for Spokane Area Jewish Family Services. And then on the the sidebar to the left of the page, you'll see under our programs, the Jewish Cultural Film Festival. Click that link. You can buy tickets, buy a festival pass. And then, like I said, watch it in the comfort of your own home. I expect reports on my desk by Monday morning. All right, everyone. Have a nice week. Bye. Bye.